Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, hi there, all you good listeners. We're so glad to be home from on the road, aren't we, Richard? We've been gone about three and a half weeks, and we've been all over Asia, and we just got home in time to listen to the NCAA championship basketball game, which means a great deal to, well, to me, well, I don't know, to our boys. I like it, but we we really have been so far removed from it. They don't exactly show the NCAA in Bali, Indonesia. Yeah, I hate hate to break it to you, but uh, basketball is not the biggest sport in Asia, and or in the world, for that matter. But um, unfortunately, we got a lot of sports stations when we'd get to a hotel, but all of them had soccer games on, didn't they? Yeah, which we don't really know much about, but well, a lot we of know you more, do. We know more than rugby or cricket, which was also on quite often. Yeah, that's true. I used to hear the cricket scores when I was in, in London when we were living there, and I, I'd listen to the score, and I still wasn't sure which team had won. <laughs> It was about all these overs and unders and wickets, and I don't know what any of those things are. (laughs) It's very confusing, but to the basketball world, this is the biggest day of the year, the college basketball, and um, so we're excited for the game. Well, it means a lot to us because we had a son that went to the big dance when he played for Weber State University, and it looked like an upset in the making. They were ahead, but Wisconsin came back and beat them in the last couple of minutes. Oh, well. Well, they were happy to get there. They were, I think they, they well, they were their champion, the champions of the region, obviously. They were undefeated in undefeated, their undefeated, yeah. That's right, but that's going back a ways. But at any rate, we thought that since it was kind of a big sports day, we the first thing we want to, we're going to get to our trip uh, in a minute, because we learned some interesting things about parenting and families, as we always do when we travel. But before we do, what do you parents think about the way sports are going these days for your kids? What do you think about your coaches in the little league or the bitty basketball? What do you think about the emphasis on winning? What do you think about kids who um, get a trophy whether they win or lose, win or lose, and it's just for a participant. What do you think of parents who say, wow, you were fantastic, son, even though he struck out every time he came up to bat? What do you, what do you think about all these issues, Linda? What do you think? Well, I think I'm grateful for a lot of our coaches, and I'm still mad at a lot of our coaches <laughs> because, um, oh, man, if I had... If I could just find the letter that our 10-year-old wrote to the BYU coach at the time our son was playing for BYU and not putting him in as much as she thought he should be in. I mean, she sent him the most scathing letter you can imagine. It was hilarious. And I it was in the old days when it wasn't on a computer where I can still access it. I just I should have copied it because it's one of the dearest things in the world. A sister's loyalty to her brother. Absolutely. But she was a little, she was actually better about it than I was. I used to keep a chart showing how the team did when our son Talmadge was playing and when how well they did when he was on the bench, a detailed chart, which clearly proved that the team was better with him on the court. But I could not seem to get that basic, <laughs> simple analysis head. through the coach's head. But so so here's the point I'm making. I fall into a kind of a 
uh, both sides of this issue. On the on the one hand, I just can't stand overly involved parents who build their whole ego through their kids playing on sports teams and who are obnoxious in the stands and on and on and on. But on the other hand, I was kind of like that myself, although I did it more subtly than some of the people who bother me now. But (laughs) I think there's a real dilemma for a lot of parents on how involved do you want to get your kids in, in athletics? I mean, so many kids, you know, are into sports and they think when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, oh, I want to be an NBA basketball player. I want to play in the NFL and so on. Do we encourage kids to, to have completely unrealistic goals like that? Or, or do we say, hey, it's okay to dream, be the best you can be? Um, how do we balance it with wanting them to, to think at least as much and as hard about school and about grades and about their character as they do about how good they are in sports or maybe about their music as much as they do in sports. I mean, I guess I want to ask you, Linda, do you think we're just sort of a little too sports crazy in this country and and also as parents? Well, I think we are. It's not just our country, but I mean, having just passed through the Super Bowl, well, a few months ago. Um, It's just amazing how much money and time and power goes into those big games. And I, you know, when I actually we sat by a couple of uh, BYU uh, football players yesterday (coughs) at a conference, and uh, they were such cute boys. But you know, they were saying that they need tutors full time because they're traveling so much and to keep them up with their classes because their grades are important, so which is great. But Four, four or five hours every day. But every day. Practice, all year long, all through the college year. Yeah. And now there's all this stuff in the papers and news about college football players unionizing so they can demand a little something. And there, there is a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of legitimacy in the in the concern that you know college football, for example, is worth billions of dollars in this country, and yet, and some college football coaches make five million dollars a year, and they make it on the backs of their players, these student athletes who get nothing, except in many cases uh, some injuries or some um, wear and tear on their body that lasts their whole lives. And so, you know, is that fair or not? I mean, you know, sports is a is a field where there's a lot of controversy lately, and we want to bring it down to the whole parenting thing and and suggest that it is something parents should think about. And one of the things we all need to think about is how much time is it worth? How much? How many teams do we want our kids to be on? How many hours in the day do we want to devote to sports? Now, I I can ask those questions because heaven knows and Linda knows that I probably spend too much time on sports myself. But I I think it's a question we have to ask ourselves as parents, and I think it's an evaluation we have to have with our children, getting them involved. What is important? How important is this? Which sports do you care most about? Maybe if you're going to be in three this year, you ought to make your own decision on limiting it down to two next year or whatever. I think these are the kind of discussions parents need to have with kids. Yeah, and letting them know that, 
you know, set their priorities and what is the most important? What is the most important? Is basketball more important than getting good grades in school? In the long run, which one is going to do you the most good? You know, those kind of discussions I think are good to keep it in perspective. But, you know, then you... um, you go back to the self-esteem that it gives kids to be on sports teams and or not. I mean, sometimes we had some really great athletes and we had some that were not so great. And, um, and sometimes it was hard for them to go to games and so on. But I do have to put a word in for coaches, for these little teams, these little kids. Honestly... They are my heroes. I think they're so fabulous that they take the time out of their busy schedules to be with these kids and really try to teach them the fundamentals. My very favorite are the four- and five-year-olds when they start soccer and they have no idea which way to run to get to their goal. And But this year, I got to go to our little granddaughter Lucy's first soccer practice. We were in Arizona last month. And um, it was so wonderful to see this great coach because this little girl has a syndrome and she can't see as well as some of the other kids and she's a little overweight because of the deals that she's, that she's dealing, the things she's dealing with with this syndrome. But honestly, this coach was so darling to her, so cute. You know, calling her out on, Lucy, you go stand over there and then run this way when this happens. Good, Lucy. Oh, that's awesome, Lucy. She just loves to go to soccer practice because this coach is so good to her. And I think the kids are good to her on that because of that. And honestly, it just makes my eyes swell up with tears when I think about this great man who made her, really, her season because he was such a good coach. And yeah. finally, she got her first goal, and everybody rejoiced, all of the other kids, all of the opponents, everybody. And so, you know, those people do make a difference in the lives of kids. So there's that extreme, and then there's the other extreme of coaches. Right. Who, one of the problems with a lot of coaches of young kids is that they somehow get in their minds that the way to coach is to criticize and to yell at kids when they do something wrong and to focus on the negative behavior rather than the positive. And frankly, it doesn't work very well at any level. I think that what makes uh, Coach K at Duke a tremendous coach is he focuses on the positive. And not enough coaches know that. So at any rate, we're not trying to give some formula or some pat answers or some simple way to decide what to do. We are just suggesting that if you're a parent, of a child who's involved in sports or wants to be involved in sports, put some thought into it and have some really meaningful discussion with the child about what it really is. And and, and I, I remember one of my, I used to coach a lot of our kids, and I never enjoyed coaching the boys as much as I enjoyed coaching our last daughter because they had... <laughs> They had the worst girls basketball team in the history of the world. We lost one game, forty-seven to two. Yeah, right. and and uh, and but we had so much fun, and the girls had come over in the timeouts. They were eight-year-olds, and I would say, our cheer was, "What's the goal?" And they'd yell, "To have fun!" And then they'd run back out and let the other team score another thirty <laughs> points. 
I remember those days. But you know what? Those girls remember that more than any team they've been on, I'm sure, just because it was horrible and adorable. Well, they actually <laughs> went a little too far. They, they, they sort of got a little uppity about how we're, we're the ones who know it's fun. Look at those poor other girls. They think you have to try to win. We're just so much smarter than they are. <laughs> exactly. Well, anyway, give it some thought, listeners, and we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to shift gears a little and tell you about, for us at least, the best family reunion ever in a faraway land, a little tropical island called Bali. So we'll be right back after this break. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. Um, we're just way back. In fact, we're still a little bit jet-lagged, don't you think, Richard? Yeah, you know, it's always harder to go. Uh, all you world travelers out there have to see if you agree with this, but never bothers me or Linda, I don't think, when we're going, you know, east to west, like... Going uh, that direction, for some reason, you stay up a little longer and you go to sleep and sleep through the night and you're right back on schedule. But going west to east, oh my goodness, it's just tough to get days and nights back together. But here's the point. We um, we sold our house a couple of years ago and downsized a little bit and the kids were pretty mad at us because that's where they grew up and that's where their childhood memories were. And, how dare we sell their house and they were just on saying, and on and on. Please, please, please don't sell the house. That we want to bring our children home to see our house when they're grown up and all that kind of stuff. Well, we sold it, man. <laughs> we softened the blow by saying, listen, we'll use some of the proceeds to take you to an incredible place called Bali. Now, you might ask, why Bali? Well, we visited there a few times many years ago for some conferences and to give some speeches, and we fell in love with this magical little island in Indonesia where the Hindu culture is so artistic and beautiful and the scenery is so wonderful. And we ended up sending back a lot of old furniture and carvings that that we used to furnish the new house we got when we sold the house we're speaking of. So bottom line was we loved the place and we softened the blow of selling their house as they considered it by saying hey we'll we'll use some of the proceeds we'll all go to bali and we'll go just as adults we'll leave the grandkids with babysitters and it'll just be us and our kids and their spouses now first thing i want to say right off the bat is whether you go to bali or whether you go on a cruise or whether you just go down the road to maddox restaurant for dinner there is tremendous usage and utility and benefit in having some time if you're a, if you're an empty nester like we are and having some time just with your children and their spouses not with all the grandkids the grandkids are great and you'll have lots of interaction with them i mean they're fantastic but once in a while just you and your kids and the spouses it's some very interesting discussion comes up in the absence 
of all those little grandkids and sometimes the discussions about all those little grandkids. Well, I have to say a couple of things. First of all, the reason we chose Bali is that we went to Bali 10 years ago and absolutely fell in love with it. Isn't that what I just said? Isn't that what I just said? And we loved it so much we brought back all the furniture for our house and everything? Well, true. But uh, but what you don't know is that when you walk in the front door, we have a Balinese house um, as rock on the outside, but Balinese grass on the inside and some fun other stuff too. But the other thing is that, you know, the kids were so funny. Uh, we did go with one very pregnant little mom who carries the baby straight out in front of her. She could have eaten all of her meals just right on her tummy. Brave little girl. And uh, she came, and then one of the other moms immediately when we decided we were going to do this wrote, and this is a funny little aside, wrote to everyone and said, okay, nobody get pregnant, nobody. We don't want babies over there. No, come on. And, and She's the one that had a baby. She's the one that accidentally had a baby. And so she, we See, were so... they'd been so, planning, thinking about this for a year. And yeah, so. we were delighted to have that little baby. Honestly, and that mom was such a trooper. She had that baby strapped to her chest the entire time. He never made a peep. He was an angel, and we all had so much fun playing with him. So Now, let me let me tell a little story as a kind of a justification for for this trip because it was an extravagant it was an expensive trip but again we we could afford it only because we'd sold the house and we wanted to devote some of the profit to this trip but i i have a little story that illustrates my thinking behind it a little bit more and i haven't told this for a while you might not even remember it linda but it's a story about a, a, a relatively uh poor lower middle class family who um who finally the guy got a little bonus uh, from his job and he it's the first time he'd ever had really any disposable money at all and the debate was with he and his wife the discussion was do we use this to build another bathroom because we have a you know we've got more people in our we've got four or five kids and um We've only got one bathroom. Do we use it for that? Or do we use it to take the one and only family vacation we have ever had? And they could not decide what to do. They just thought, practically speaking, how can we not build the bathroom? I mean, that's what we need. That's what will serve our family. That's that's the, the only logical thing to do. But they just kept having this feeling that maybe what they really needed to do was get away with their kids because they'd never done it before. They'd never been able to afford any kind of a vacation. So they went to a person that they really trusted and they asked for his advice. And this must have been a wise man because he said, well, what you've got to think about is which one will last the longest. And so initially the the, the couple thought, oh, well, he's telling us to, to build a bathroom because obviously that'll last. You know, the vacation will just go on and it'll be over. But they thought about it a little longer, and, and he just kind of waited for their reaction. And they asked him, well, they said, well, well, which one would last the longest? And he wouldn't say. He said, you tell me, and I'm not going to tell you what to do, but go home and think about it and do the thing that will last the longest. And long story short, they thought about it for a while and finally concluded that the memories from taking probably the only vacation together they'd ever be able to afford would last longer and be more cherished and mean more to their family over the course of many years 
than if they had another bathroom right away. Now, you may agree or disagree with that, but it's some food for thought. You know, I do think that um, we also like a book a lot that's called Die Broke, <laughs> because really, you know, we just think the best thing we can use our money for is getting kids together if it's possible. And I know a lot of, for a lot of people that is just not possible. But, you know, you can get them together for dinner or get them together, you know, for camping. Or you can do so many things. You know, however, nice. whatever it takes to get them together. You know, we did while we were gone. We went on a little speaking tour after we, after we sent the kids home from Bali. We went on over to Jakarta, which is in Indonesia, and um, gave... Uh, some speeches there, and then we went over to Kuala Lumpur, and then we went on to Singapore and had an amazing experience um, with the families that were there, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week, but I just thought as we sent those kids home, this is the best investment that we could possibly have made. In fact, in Kuala Lumpur, though, we talked to a really bright group of parents, about 35 couples or so, in a very hot room, (laughs) as I must say. They were so um, excited about what we had to say, but one mother came up and said, she said, I have nine children in my family, but every time we get together, we just fight. We, they talk about politics. We talk about things that we disagree on, and it is just a mess. We just don't get together very often because of that. And I thought, how sad. What a sad thing. You do have to cultivate that that really good feeling of camaraderie and of everybody's valuable and everybody has good opinions. Well, and you, you, you occasionally hear this, the saddest thing, I think, is when, when parents will say, you know, we just don't get together anymore with the kids because it just always leads to disagreements. We always end up arguing. We always have fights and so on. And maybe that's an indication that you're not getting together often enough. And I guess we're kind of shifting gears here a little bit now, Linda, and talking maybe to some grandparents and some empty nest parents and so on. And I think one of the one of the things that we have to really struggle with in today's world is getting the right balance between being too involved in our grown kids' lives and not being involved enough. And, you know, we've heard extremes on, on both sides. We had a Well, I won't say who it is, but someone said the other day, I just can't stand it because uh, the parents of my wife just think that they want to be in touch every Saturday morning, and they call us at 6 a.m. because that's the only time they can reach us. And we have to wake up at 6 every day, and they want to ask us how we're doing with our parenting and how are our finances and how are we doing with our food storage and so on and so forth. It's like an interrogation so obviously, you can get too involved, but at the same time, there's nothing like staying in touch. And sometimes a little trip or a special time together that costs a little bit of money is the very best thing you can do. And so it's it's a matter of balance, you know. And I think one of the things so many older parents and and uh, empty nest parents and grandparents one of the dilemmas that I think affects almost everyone is, look, here's how here's how much money I've got or how much income I've got or how much retirement I've got or whatever it is. And whether it's a lot or a little, this, the question's still the same. How much of it do I want to save so that I never am a burden on anyone, no matter how long I live? 
And how much of it can I spend on doing things with and for my children as we go along? And that's a tough thing. And many people, of course, have investment advisors or retirement planners or they read books on it and so on. A lot of people pray very hard about that, trying to know what that balance is and it may be a different balance for every person who's involved. But we have to try our best to find the right answer for for ourselves. And frankly, I think part of the key is not being extreme in either way. Obviously, those who go too far with the die broke mentality that you mentioned, Linda, run out of money. They spend it all. They try. They, it's like a a senior version of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, and they they are a burden on people later on, and they, they, they don't have as happy a senior life as they'd like. But on the other hand, you see people who are so worried about every little expenditure that they never do anything with their family. They never think they can afford to do anything with their with their grandkids and their children. And, you know, they sometimes they, they're thinking, I, I guess here's what I'm trying to get at. I think if, if you're being too scrimpy and too tight with your financial resources because you want to have an inheritance left over to give to your kids when you die, then you're probably a little bit on the wrong track. And I don't mean to be judgmental or make decisions for you because everyone has to think this through for themselves. But 99 times out of 100, my belief is that using that money to do things with your children and your grandchildren while you're alive is a much better use than hoarding it so you'll have an inheritance for them when you die. That is so true. And I just have to say that, honestly, the one of the best moments of my life was standing there at the hotel and seeing all of our adult children and spouses with that little baby and that pregnant mom getting off of that big van with all their bags and all together at once. They came from all over the U.S. And um, honestly, it was just a feeling of joy that I will never forget because it's just so wonderful to have them all together and to listen to their spirits and to be able to really talk about some things without the interruptions of all the little grandchildren. So we highly recommend it. Well, we're out of time, but but talk about a little diversity. We covered everything from sports to family reunions. But join us next week, and we'll get a little further into yeah, some of and, the great issues of parenting. And actually, we'll have some pictures up next week of our travels, and we'll enjoy sharing with you. See you next See time you next week. on Ayers on the Road. 